Blitz isn't defined as a sudden savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None except. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk <laughs> man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. First off, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for enjoying another edition of Longhorn Blitz. A decade plus now and going strong. That's all thanks to you, the listener, for your support. Uh, we do get the feedback, the good and the bad, so hey, keep it coming. We love doing this show for you. Uh, it never gets old. Some of the best times of my week are uh, in this studio chopping it up with Matt and Rod. So thank you guys for the support. Uh, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. It's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of The Blitz when it drops, which this week it will drop on Wednesday morning. That is because uh, my colleagues at Horns 24-7, Chip Brown and Taylor Estes with the flagship podcast, they had Chris Del Conte on the flagship this week, so that was posted on nice. Tuesday. Actually, as we record this, it's up right now, so if you want to go hear CDC coming off of his town hall, uh, he was on the flagship this week. So normally you get the Blitz on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, before your rush hour drive home, but this week you get it on Wednesday morning. Either way, thank you so much for enjoying the podcast. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily Fantasy guru. He's Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Those XFL lineups treat you well? Oh, I was telling you, I put in one this week, and it did really well. <laughs> but it came down to Marcel Aitman and Jeff Bidette, uh, two guys at Oklahoma and Oklahoma State receivers. Uh, you're you're awesome at what you do, Matt, but sometimes you're you're a sick puppy. So I thanks. got a free team. Had to put the free team out there. <laughs> I wish I would have done more, though. I finished like 95th out of 23,000, <laughs> and I didn't even know what I was doing at the beginning of it. Thank you for doing it, Matt, so we don't have to. I'm great. A man who is always great is the third member of our team. He wears numerous hats for the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 acres where he earned his degree Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we promise that we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Appreciate the intro, brother. Rod, your rookie card is on the way. Your Bowman Gold uncirculated in the case. Oh, man. For some reason, with this delivery... It is the longest delivery in the history of Amazon. I it's ordered like it a week weeks. ago today. Well, it came from some place where <laughs> you know the hills have eyes. I don't know where they have it is. It is allegedly city. It did come from allegedly. Know? Allegedly, it's supposed to be in my mailbox right now. Mm, nice. Allegedly. Well, I appreciate that, brother. No problem. It means I told, a lot to me. I, I told you that. when we were leaving the, the last week, I was going to go ahead and buy it. I went ahead and bought it, but I just you know my wife gets stuff and it's there like next day. 
Yeah, because, I mean, it's stuff of value. I, just, I get something from Amazon. <laughs> like, like, who the hell wants this thing? <laughs> yeah, we charge you value. extra for the shipping. Exactly. Forget free shipping. <laughs> you better have Prime Plus or whatever or something. I don't know if there's uh, levels of Prime you can get. But well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, any, anything for you, Rod. Anything for you guys. It's all good. Yep, now currently unavailable. He got literally found. That la- that was the last one you could find on the Internet. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how, how rare it is, man. That's, how that's awesome, roll. though. Yeah. How we roll. The fact that you got a gold version, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that man. Is, yeah, like I said, I've never even, I didn't know that one existed, so. I appreciate it, brother. There's, a, a, there's a, you know, there's actually a, a rarer version of your Bowman rookie card that I've never seen that exists. It's the silver edition, which is numbered to fifty. One of fifty, huh? I don't know who the 50. hell's. I don't know who the hell's. I've like, never who I've has never, all fifty of them. I don't, yeah, I've <laughs> never seen one go up for sale. I've never even seen one for sale. So. I've never even seen one either. And I, I think over the few years, I've done my share of rabbit holding yeah. looking for them. That's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. That is wild. But yo, you'll have that soon, I'll, Rod. Very I'll put wifey on I'm it. looking it's forward to seeing it. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to discuss too much with the CDC town hall because, uh, the, like I said, the flagship. You can go listen to their interview with Chris Del Conte. A couple things I do want to talk about, though, Rod. I don't get your opinion because you experienced DKR when it was like this. Uh, when it, CDC said in the next two to three months they're going to announce plans with a new indoor practice facility for football. So I think we all agree. It's long overdue. As we said, Rod, the bubble was brand new and innovative when you were on campus. Yeah. And it's been a minute. It's been a minute since you played on the 40 acres. It's pretty sad. Long overdue for an indoor practice facility. CDC said whenever they make plans for that practice facility that they will go to grass inside DKR once again. Rod, you played in DKR when it was grass. Do you like the natural grass feel better, or do you like the artificial stuff? It's mm, a good question. I I think I prefer grass, but it's only because that's mostly what I know. I think if I probably played on some of the more advanced turf they have these days, I'd probably like the more advanced turf. So I think it just depends on just you know how you kind of grew up, your football background, yeah. and what you're comfortable with. I would love to see, you know, the numbers on the injuries because I know that's a big concern for people that they're, the belief is that there are fewer injuries on grass than there are on turf. I don't know if that's the case. I, I think it's just like a mm-hmm. it's, it's a belief. It's a feel thing. Yeah, like I, I would love to see the actual data on it to see mm-hmm. what it is, but I have no problem going to grass. Don't use the grass in that. Yeah. Stadium in Arizona Lindale. where yeah they, where they, they shift played, the grass in like that they played place the national is title and they played Super Bowl yeah don't do it there or or advertising like Oklahoma State did like oh hey we grew yeah. the grass for the Super Bowl it's great yeah that's not something to brag about right yeah, now because Glendale's the it. odd situation where they actually have the field like be grown outdoors and they're able to retract in the turf underneath it's a weird system weird. if you ever watched a video no but it's but yeah they basically can pull out the grass and then they just slide in a new group mm-hmm. so yeah and that side definitely it looks like whenever you see like whenever it's winter and a green bay brings in a new field and it just gets torn up real fast you know it's like that softy sod and yeah it looks like a field that's been in the middle of the winter and it's in the middle of a dome um didn't look good no it didn't look good at all (laughs) i think this is getting this is getting fast tracked for cdc for two reasons one the 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 indoor practice facility as we said has been long overdue and he he said something that i've told people for years and i know this because tom herman told me this uh Basically, with the bubble the way it is and its distance from campus for off-season workouts to maximize time, as long as the weather permits, 
they like using the stadium because it's an artificial surface. Yeah. So even when if it's just rain, like if it's no, you're not worried about cold. Even if it's just a light rain or a rain the night before, okay, it's an artificial surface. You can manage it where you're not trudging through the mud or anything like that to get your off season work in. And you get thirty more minutes of working out, basically not having to walk over, shuttle over one way or the other. Yeah, it felt it was considered sacred, so we didn't we didn't practice in the stadium very often, yeah. probably because of the fact that it was grass. Yeah, yeah. and I heard Craig say this morning with you guys. On like the tower that Sark loves practicing in the stadium. Yeah, it's, it makes mean, sense. That's yeah. where you play. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm, I can understand. It makes a lot of. Sense. I told him I'm with you, but it, we just never did it. it we we yeah. didn't do it very often. So there's there's that part of it. There's a logistics part of it, but also I remember CDC saying this a couple of years ago. This is maybe like the, the spring. So he took the job in December 2017. This might be the spring after when he took the job that I heard him one of the speaking stops that he did uh, talking about. Wanted to go to grass on a football field because he came from TCU. TCU has natural grass surface. And he mentioned the SEC. And I went and double-checked. If you look at the teams in the SEC right now, everybody has natural grass except there's two stadiums that don't. Hmm. Missouri plays on turf and Vanderbilt plays on turf. And we already know all about the Missouri turf. Well, that it is new turf though. They ripped up the old stuff. <laughs> yeah. As I said, they should have let Henry jo- put Henry Josie at one end and Fozzie at the other end. Gave mm. them both a gas, gas cannon, some matches, and just Man. let them burn that thing down. I still so remember sad. hearing Will Muschamp rant about that. He was upset. No, that was bad. Yeah, it was. Ugly. Yeah, you were doing sidelines yeah, back yeah, then. No, it was bad. It was real bad. And then I mean, Texas has been turf since '09. Texas was grass mm-hmm. all the way through '08. In in context to the rest of football, because I mean, you had a lot of fields that were like all and back what was in the Astro- reason they did. They, they Texas have a reason. Just I don't even remember why game. Texas Speed, did it. Or was it finance? Um, so they went to grass in '96 when they did the track removal and all the stadium upgrades to get DKR Got rid of pretty much Astro- where it is now. Went to grass in '96. I remember part of the conversation going to turf in 09 was uh, Mac wanted to be able to host high school football playoff games mm. at DKR. Not tear it up, sort of like yeah. you were yeah. talking okay. about. Okay. That, that, was, sense, that wasn't the whole reason. Yeah, Plus, one of the reasons. artificial turf is cheaper, cheaper. to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, th- I figured it you was. Don't, you don't have maintenance crews yeah. for artificial turf. I figured it was a financial thing. Yeah, yeah. probably a lot but just more benefits yeah. overall. So that's pretty much the only thing I wanted to cover from the CDC town hall that, that I found fascinating. And he talked about there's a recruiting lounge. Rod, you remember that uh, that old turf up on Moncrief, like on the backside of Moncrief, that turf field, which I don't even know what it's used for now. But it used to. Mm-hmm. It, I think you guys used to actually work out yeah, yeah. up there. Yep. So there may be pits out there or something. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, now they've got it's like a club slash something else. So now. they're basically going to demo probably half of that, yeah. what's left of that field, and they're, it's going to be an indoor recruiting lounge. Yeah, it's a, yeah. they've already kind of jazzed it up. It's nothing like it was before. They got shade and everything. That's what I said. I remember <laughs> going up there like in 99, but I can't. It's been so long. I can't, yeah. uh, no, couldn't we tell you what was People used before. to do like, uh, we do throwing sessions up there when like scouts came in and stuff sometimes. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I wanted to hit on from, uh, from the CDC town hall. I do want to get into this, though. And this kind of leads me into the other item that I wanted to talk about this week a little bit, which was those assistant coaches that are getting contract extensions. That's going to be up for the Board of Regents meeting starting tomorrow on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I think that agenda's for Thursday that you've got some assistant coaches that are getting contract extensions, a couple of them getting raises. Uh, and I think that's a positive thing, and I'll, I'll go into that. But I want to start with this. I got a, an Instagram message from I'm, – I'm just now figuring out how to use Instagram. I know I sound like an old man, but I'm trying to get <laughs> acquainted with Instagram. They call and, it the gram. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> Young I'm, kids. I've been spending some more time on the gram lately. And uh, 
Marcus Rhodes. Marcus hit us up, and it said, I listen to Longhorn Blitz, and I love it. However, in my opinion, seems like y'all are biased against Sark. Y'all critique him as if he's coaching an NFL team. How many college offenses are doing the things that you criticize Sark for not doing? It was mentioned that, uh, that Sark underutilized Bijan in the running game. Uh, used Sark's quote against him. Yet, Kalen Robinson was used, Roshan was used, and Bijan was used. So one could argue that the running back position was not underused in the running game. It seems like y'all compare Texas offense to NFL offense. It's talking about what San Francisco does. That seems unfair. You can look at Texas and see that this is a better put-together team than we've had in decades. It just seems like only thorns and not enough roses come from the Longhorn Blitz. Marcus, like I said, good or bad, appreciate the feedback. Rod, I'll start with you. Uh, are we too hard on Sark? No. Um, like I said, it's, I've, I've mentioned this before. People, they like Sark's offense. It's the first offense Longhorn fans have actually liked, honestly, since DKR's offense. Yeah, It really is. They didn't like Greg Davis's offense. Greg Davis's offense were really effective, but Longhorn fans didn't like it. They constantly complained about yeah. it. And they complained about every offense since then. So he just really likes Sark's offense. And I get that. Sark's does, he does have a really aesthetically pleasing offense, but there is no denying in a TCU game when Bijan Robinson has, was it was it 12 touches or 14 touches yeah, total? Like no, no Zero targets. targets. Uh, come on, man. What you, what you, I mean, that's, that's being too hard on him. How is that being too hard on him? Um, I don't think that is being too hard on him at all. Um, 21 personnel was his most effective, most explosive, most efficient personnel package. He said before the bowl game we would see all three backs play. You never seen you didn't see one down of two back sets in that game. Now because of, because of injury, whatever. Um, but I'm just saying, like I I think yes, it's a great offense, but I need him also to not win the chess match within the game. The offense does look different from the first half to the second half. I'm sure the texter or whatever will agree, right? It looks a lot different because he's better as a game planner and in preparation than he is actually at making adjustments and countering the adjustments of his mm-hmm. opponents. That's mostly what I've been critical of. So, um, and I think that's still an issue, obviously. I mean, when he faces coaches who win at least 60% of their games, which makes you a good coach, Sark has, is not there yet, um, he has a 40% winning percentage. When he faces coaches that have, have a below 60% winning percentage, he has a 75, 76 winning percentage. Yeah. <laughs> so the numbers don't lie. He is a good coach when he faces average to below average coaches, but when he has to go up against coaches who can win the chess match within the game and make the adjustments and they can counter very well, usually more often times than not, he's losing those games. So uh, there was a lot of progress this year that, person is just in love with the Sark offense. He's not just an offensive coordinator anymore. He's he's not just an I'll, I'll repeat. He's not just an offensive coordinator anymore. He's a head coach. He's responsible for all of it, including himself as the play caller when yeah. he cannot make those adjustments within the game. So, yes, he's been he's done a good job. I I, I think I've given I've praised him when he's done a good job. But um he, when he's been I don't know, when, when he's been subpar in his duties, I have criticized him. And, I, and I've probably been overly critical of all the coaches. Tom Herman, too. Yeah. There's a Texas and standard. And Mac Brown before that. Matter of fact, Mac Brown told me so. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, it, it, to me, it's not me picking on Sark. That's, that's just my M.O. 
if you really want to be real about it, I mean, how long have you been listening to the podcast? Because it's pretty much been the same for all the coaches until they meet expectations. And have they met expectations since we've been on this show? No. No. Thank you. There and when that, they do, we will praise them. There was that one year. There was that 18. one year. Yes, yeah, so we praised them. But then after that, they did. So I feel like Harry Doyle <laughs> in Major League, that's all we got, one bleeping year. Yeah, yes. so I, I feel you. But like I said, your your stand, your expectations are different, but your expectations should not affect the standard. And the standard is I love the standard. that. I love that you brought that up. And I think that's, and that's – So your expectations are yours, and that's a private thing. Good for you. You have your own. That's you should be able to have that. But your expectations do not do not change the standard of Texas football. And you know what the standard is, and I know what the standard is. So let's not even have to discuss that. I'm and, about to, I, I'm about them living up to the standard. And when they don't do that, that's why I'm critical. And how many of them have lived up to the standard? So that's how I feel. And that's where like we're talking about where we want Texas football to be and in the minds of what Texas football is. You know, me and Jeff have talked a lot about when we were growing up as young kids, you know, was sort of in a drought of Texas football. And then you were able to see some, you know, rough edges bounce up and down when you win in 96, but then you have a horrible year in 97. And then once you hit Ricky and Mac and you hit the ground running going forward and then sort of that, prime 05 to 0809 was also whenever me and Rod started working in radio and if you would have if we would have had Longhorn Blitz back then you would have heard us talking about you know how great and amazing you could have guys like Colden Shipley covering up the weaknesses mm-hmm. but even at the time we were talking about there were weaknesses inside the framework of that team coming off of 07 and how Muschamp was able to bring up a side of the defense and like they're always I mean it's really hard to find a perfect team there's always going to be things that teams can replace and when you're talking about the standard of Texas if you want to be a champion and have a team that lives up to that cha- champion caliber yeah you know so if you were to compare him as an offensive coordinator to other collegiate offenses, yeah, he has an explosive, amazing college offense, and that's why we always talk about us wanting to see that opening script continue out throughout a game. But then we've seen times where the consistent patterns prove that you have things that fall off, inconsistencies, and those type of inconsistencies are the things that get magnified when you're trying to win on that championship level, when you're going up against other top-level coaches and things along those lines. So that's why we maybe zoom in on those because we know those are the things that are worth pointing out because a lot of the times it isn't as worthy to come on here and just point out the simple things that Texas has done well because you're trying to strive to that point of excellence and sometimes those conversations have to be narrowed in to what areas are the most interesting to talk about. And a lot of the times right now, unfortunately, because of Texas's record, it zooms in on what those deficiencies are and where Texas needs to improve. I'll say this, the reason why we bring up uh, Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay, uh, Lincoln Lincoln Riley, we talked a lot about Lincoln Riley on this podcast because – when you talk about the elite play callers in college football or in, in, in the game, period. In football. Those are the guys we're talking about. Uh, Andy Reid falls into that mm-hmm. that group as well. Those, those are the guys we're talking about, the best of the best. And, you know, a lot of Texas fans, and, and I was kind of guilty of this too, bought into the fact that, you know, when Sark was hired, I said, oh, he's an elite play caller, he's an elite play caller. Um, and I'm I'm not saying Sark is bad at his job at all. I think Sark is, a, is an elite, and this is kind of where I landed, right? We talked this out uh, in 2021, and I think maybe a little bit this year too. Sark, I think, is an elite play designer. 
Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and and the evidence of that is go and look at how many of Sark's opening scripts are just, man, there's good stuff. There's good stuff in those openers mm-hmm. because those are play designs. That's stuff that you've worked on that probably no matter what, front coverage, down distance, whatever you see, that's going to be the stuff you run your first 15 to 20 plays or whatever, however many Sark wants to script that week. But an elite play caller, to Rod's point, an elite play caller is able to have a feel for the game, be able to make adjustments, be able to say on the fly, you know what, my game plan is not working, but I think we can exploit this. Let's go down this road. And it's not that Sark is incapable of doing that. We either just don't see it enough or we see it at a point in the game where it's too late to make a difference. Like We talked about the TCU game and the bowl game. We fought, We saw the adjustments. It's just that they were way too late to have an impact on the game. Yeah, I agree. So, as I said, I don't, I, I don't think it's not a matter of Sark being bad at his job or knocking Sark. It's just, like I said, either the adjustments, we haven't seen enough of them, or the ones we haven't seen, they didn't come at a point in the game where it really mattered. Yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's, he, he there was great improvement, a ton of improvement this year. And I think we did celebrate that. Um, but the truth is they still aren't where the they're meeting expectations yet. No. We, we talked about this, right? The Is the season a success or is it a failure? Well, it's not a success, but it's not a failure. It, it, I mean, both of those things can be true. I've always yeah. said it, man, eight and four. Eight and four is the ultimate gray area. Yeah, it's not a success, not a failure. It's the, it's the Rorschach test. It, it is whatever you think the season was, that's what it was. Yeah. And I think next year there will be a little bit more clarity about, you know, whether you know, there are no excuses for the program to underachieve or regress. But, I mean, it's to me, I think – I've been fair with Sark, but like I said, I, I'm the same with all the coaches. Yeah, I, I, You could say I was hard on Tom Herman, too. I mean, and Mac Brown. Matter of fact, yeah. Mac Brown, like I said, told me, hey, we, man, you're going to go too hard on us. Go back and listen to so, some of those episodes of three years Charlie yeah, like, was here. I, so I, just don't, I, I don't think the – and is it Marcus? Yes. I don't think he's been – I don't know how long he's listening. I don't think he's been listening that long. Okay. I think he's been listening probably for maybe about a year or maybe a couple of years. Yeah, been listening during the Sark term because if you listen during the time, I went hard on Tom Herman. I went Charlie Strong show. I went hard on. Oh man, I went off on Charlie too. I'm, I'm right? pretty I sure Charlie Strong. But Jeff right? went off on Sean Watson. I'm pretty sure Sean Watson ever saw me out in public so and punched I, me in the face. Yeah, I really. Yeah, to me, I don't know. I I think I've been pretty consistent with yeah. all the coaches and about the what I think the necessary adjustments are the necessary you know. Game plan, schematic moves, or tactical moves that need to be made for them to get the dubs, and that's what I do. Yeah, like and, and I, I try to look at it from that yeah. point of view. And I figured if I don't do it from that point of view, then I, we're not. I'm not giving you anything that everybody else out there who is doing. I don't know now the fifty thousand other Texas Longhorn related football podcasts that are out there that they can give you. They, I mean, I, I'm I'm a football theorist, so I'm looking at it from a a coach's player's point of view. Yeah. And so, yeah, that might be considered uber critical. But hell, I I remember 
I, I go off on when the opponent screws up on this damn show. Yeah. I've gone out multiple times about that was a dumb play by the opponent. <laughs> when, when Xavier Worthy went to whip route, I was like, oh, I pray, amazing whip route. I came on the show and said, man, that was some of the worst defense I've ever seen from a defender. I know it was a great route, but he, they were literally playing inside out on that guy. Yeah. All you had to do was wait. The, the, the defensive coordinator called the perfect coverage, and yet yo dumbars decided, no, I'm going to go for the slant route when you got a guy waiting to defend the slant. What are you doing? Yeah. You're gonna yeah. be waiting on that whip. Hell, that's supposed to pick to the house. I mean, so I, I I I criticize football. All right. That's what I do. All right. That's what I and most of the football that I'm talking about on why you think I come on this show? Why you think we talk so much NFL on this show? It's because I come on here and start randomly ranting about why this is connected to that and end up talking about the NFL. Yeah. I'm criticizing the NFL. After the Super Bowl, where did I come in and criticize? Oh man, they should have played inside out. That was a dumb play by the DBs for the Eagles to get caught up both times on the jet return orbit motion. Like that's yeah. just stupid. You didn't go on the sideline and adjust it back to back drives, same concept you get beat on? Yeah. That's just bad. Football. That's what I don't like as a football theorist. Bad football. And I've been watching a lot of bad football on the Fort Acres, so excuse me. <laughs> That's if I true, go man. off every now and then about No, to it. your point, and I mean we were since Bijan was brought up, not only did Bijan not catch a pass against TCU, he didn't catch a pass for the rest of the season. He didn't catch a pass against TCU against Baylor or Kansas. So exactly. he had he only had nineteen receptions on the season. He had nineteen receptions coming into the TCU game. And then went three consecutive games without even catching a pass. And he averaged 16 and a half yards per reception. We were the ones that came in here yelling about Tom Herman that it's going to be pretty absurd to see that he's going to get fired because he couldn't get his best players the ball and get on the field. And then by the end of this season, we're yelling at Sark that, hey, man, you have the best like receiving running back like we've ever had in school history you might want to use him a lot more than you have been using him. It's went down. I yeah. mean, we saw it go up his sophomore year, Sark's first year. We're, he had 26 receptions. Last year he finished with 19, but the fact that he had none after the K-State game, which was in October when the Astros were winning the World Series, it's pretty crazy to think he never cut another ball the rest of the year. Yeah, we were, exactly. <laughs> we went off on Tom Herman yeah. that entire time about mm-hmm. that. Come on, man. I was yelling at Tom Herman to play more two-tailback sets. More two-tailback sets. More two-tailback sets. Yelled at Sarkin first year. More two-tailback sets. And he finally started doing it. It's the best personnel package they've had <laughs> since Sark has been on the 40 acres. Man, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm just I'm looking at the trends and the patterns. And and I've been, like I said, I was looking at that doing Tom Herman and yelling at him, too. So, like I said, you remember the Jake, say, the Jake Smith, say, Devin Duvernay conversation? Oh, yeah. Don't get exactly. <laughs> they play the same position. They can't be yeah. on the field together. If, if you're going to say that I'm too hard on Sark, then say I'm too hard on Sark, Tom Herman, Charlie Strong, and Mac Brown. Be you're just a harsh that. football critic. Be fair about that. I think we could have been harsher on Charlie, to be honest. Like, But at, at some point, it's like, all right, it, we all see the disaster in, in front of us. Like, Mm, I don't know if we could have been harsh on Charlie. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, at the point I, I, the I, guy I, I died yesterday, Charlie but Charlie Red McCombs was about <laughs> yeah. right. He was a I literally said, you can't play, the, you got to stop playing the race car with Charlie. Yeah. I remember having that having that rant on my show and on this show, like, can't play the race car, man. Sorry when you lose to Kansas. Put your race card away. Put it away. Because you're discrediting the race yeah. card. It's losing. You're losing points on the race card. The race card is losing value, right? 
your credit yeah. score is going down. Put it away. Does, is race involved? I don't know. But you lost to Kansas. Put the race card away. Yeah, when you, when you, once you lose to Kansas. <laughs> we don't even need to discuss the race. You, guys, uh, you lost yeah. to Kansas. It worked. Don't worry about it. Matt, Matt got my brain working thinking about Sean Watson. Like, as hard as I was on Sean Watson, man, I, I don't think I've ever ranted on this show like I ranted Harson. against Brian Harson for the uh, and see, I'm getting a twitch in my neck again. Mm-hmm. There's a common theme here. It's that, Kansas. It's when Kansas the, does well against Texas. Like you couldn't get Marquise oh, Goodwin, yeah. an Olympic long jumper, was got a legitimate, like legitimately one of the fastest men in the NFL. You couldn't get him the ball because it wasn't on the right hash mark. Like oh, I yeah. will never. As much as I like Brian Harson, I will cool. never like exactly. It's that's where, football like, decision. football, well, football is a simple is, game made complicated by simple men. And we talk about, like, this multi-position uh, era of football that we hope to see it go towards. If that's the case, Harson, just flip the formation, and then it's on the correct hash mark. Like, if you just go and then line them up on the other, that means he only could line up Goodwin on one side in his offense if he's saying that he can only run that reverse because it's on the wrong then, edge. Then there's something well, there's wrong with your offense. on the other side yeah. if you go and flip the formation. Then there's something wrong with your offense. And maybe he didn't like the way he carried the ball going to well, the Well, I mean, side look what pa- Patrick so Mahomes did. You already brought up those reverse jet orbit motions. Yeah. Well, Sky Moore was on the wrong side of the field. What he did was. he do? Yeah. He didn't care. He, he ran the same, same concept. concept. Yeah, I just need the it's concept. It's the same concept. Yeah. It doesn't like, matter yeah, what side of the field you're on. Yeah, we got the concept. You're right. We just like the, concept, the Jake Smith. We got the defensive look we he want. He didn't overcomplicate it. Yeah. He just sat there and was like, no, we know the concept's going to happen. If he's going to follow him, they're in main coverage. And I'm going to go and beat him because he's in man and he's trailing him. And then the, I heard, oh, man, something about Jonathan Gannon said that nobody could have covered that. And he brought up, like, Jesus Christ. What? Couldn't have covered it. I, I got to go pull up the truth. Yeah, just pass off a route. I, I, your boy, I almost threw something at the <laughs> 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 You, you forget Jesus' name? You blame yeah. Jesus? And exa- no, he did. He brought, up, he brought up the Lord. I was like, oh, man, that's messed up. And that's I, I still am looking for that NFL film sound to see for the Eagles sideline to see if they talked about it or made adjustments. If Jonathan Gannon said anything the first time, Kadarius Tony did the jet orbit return motion. Dude, and, and on the side, I just wanted to know that because it was it was the next drive. The next drive I, did the I, same thing. So I need to know who talked about it and what was said. I if I before I'd hired John Jonathan Gannon, if I was the <laughs> Arizona Cardinals owner, I'm like I need that sound. You I need that sound. This. I need it now. No, yeah. I, I no, I would have went to commissioner. Yeah. And went, no, I need the sound. I need everything. NFL yeah. films mic'd up. I need that sound because I need to know if that dude, if he made the adjustment and told him, great, and they just didn't listen to coach, that's fine because that happens. But if he didn't say a damn thing and just act like it wasn't a big deal, that's a and disqualifier. Out, and they just, just start clapping like, <laughs> we got this, guys. We're good. We're good. That's okay. That's okay because we. That's, that's what we criticize Sark for. Yeah. And the coaches staff, we did a ton last year. This year. Better adjustments on when defense. you don't defense make the adjustments right. Apply it. That's what football is. It's the chess match. That was a chess move. Mm-hmm. Andy Reid decided. Oh, I got a nice little move here. What was the adjustment? You didn't make adjustment. You lost the Super Bowl basically because that lack of a adjustment. simple adjustment. And you Very brought up simple concept. There was something that we had the same conversation like three years ago when Lafleur started with the Packers. He was playing the 49ers, and Shano kept doing what he always does and changing the numbers in the game by revert sending use check in motion, mm. so he would be blocked. The oh, outside yeah. backer and Lafleur yeah. was on the sidelines, confused what was happening, and Aaron Rodgers was coaching the linebackers and telling <laughs> them what to do. And you were like, "This doesn't make sense, though. He's under Shano. Yeah. How does he let this happen?" Well, because it's like in my mind, though, that's the same idea. Like, yeah. 
how could you get to be a head coach if you aren't seeing this? But then, like, conceptually, your quarterback can just on the fly be on the side and coach up the D tackles, and that's almost like a disqualifier if a coach is able to, how can you get to this point, yet then not see something so simple that your colleague did while you coached with them forever? Yeah. No, I like I said, it's to me, it's not an indictment, obviously, but I just need to know if he – saw it and decided to make the adjustment right then and there because there's no time. As you, yeah. as you pointed out, Jeff, it, when Sark would make the adjustments, when he did make them, they were too little too late at yeah, times. like the bowl it's game. Like, when they started it, working the short and intermediate game, oh. oh, you're moving the ball now. Okay, but you're down two scores. TCU. And, and you're going to run out of time. The TCU game late. Yeah, yeah the, stuff you, the adjustments that you finally make, is it's too little too late. Um, and in, it's no, there's no time. <laughs> All right, there's to be a sense of urgency about making the adjustment on the spot mm-hmm. and make sure that everybody understands wh- why they attacked us, where they exploited us, and how we can prevent it from happening again. Yeah, and that's the chess match. And after yeah. a while, they're gonna run out of moves. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you keep adjusting every time, they're gonna be like, "Man, I'm a, I don't have any other moves, man. We yeah. guys got to run back what we did before, and they made a really good adjustment to that. Yeah. And then that's how and that's what Kansas City did to to, to, to Philadelphia. And then when it was you just don't... too many moves for Philadelphia, ultimately. To, they didn't counter enough. They didn't and when the opposing team sees that you aren't adapting to it, then you can just beat it home over and over and over which is again. What, which is what uh, Kansas City did yes. with their short, quick motion. Mm-hmm. They by all their big plays, Something they ran simple. a short, quick motion. When they, the, the hold on the last play by Bradbury, yep. I saw the last play, but on that last drive Juju. on Juju, he, yep. It was a short return motion, and they still couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. They, still, they just couldn't adjust mm-hmm. to it technically. They couldn't adjust to it, you know, schematically. Tactically, they just really couldn't figure it out. Both of those returns, uh, sorry, and, both of those touchdowns, Kadarius Tony and uh, the Sky Moore, both of those were that short, quick motion. And even that Kelsey touchdown in the first, that was short. It, they, they used it so all much. season yeah. long. All they yeah. ever did with Kelsey was start well, him outside to and then get him just in. Bring so him he in can to a tight stack it. look yep. or twins or a bunch. And then it's like, well, you can't touch him now. Yeah. yeah we talked about this uh, last week. or the, <laughs> We talked about this last week or maybe it was the week before. I don't remember. It was whenever the Super Bowl was. I don't know, my days and weeks or running together at this point. But, you know, when we talked about bringing it back to Sark with creativity in the run game, like you need creativity in the running game. Okay, go back and watch the Chiefs, their first half run of the football. Mm-hmm. Go back, then go back and watch the second half them run of the football. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's like two totally different offenses. They're using more pin-pull concepts. They're using more counter stuff. They're getting guys on the move. They're using motion to their advantage. Like, it's a, it's a different run game. Yeah. And you're using more misdirection. Like, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about creativity in the run game. And there were times where we just didn't see enough of that from start. We saw some of it, but we just didn't see that. And for me, Rod, you tell me if I'm wrong. It goes back to if Sark's not an elite play caller, th- that's fine. He can be an elite play oh, caller. He can yeah. be he can be a good play caller, not an elite one. Mm-hmm. And you can win a lot of games, but you can't. I, I don't think you can put him in that group of when you think about the elite play callers in football. I don't think you can put him in a group. And let's just take let's take the NFL out of it, right? Uh. uh Especially like a Lincoln Riley. Would we say Lincoln Riley's the best play caller in college football? It seems yeah. to me okay. that's the case, yeah. or, or whoever you think the elite play callers are in college football, you can't put Sark in that group until this, the, the good stuff we're talking about, until we see more of that than we see the stuff that needs to get fixed. Yeah. And it's okay if he's not there. I think, but you can't put him there right now. But and also keep in mind the you know, the, the holy trinity behind the scenes behind the burn orange curtain there, Jay Hartzell and Kevin L. Tyfe and C D C they hired Sark with the belief that he was gonna grow into 
being a great, you know, championship caliber coach. That's always dicey. He was a great OC at the time. Exactly. So so, so it's nothing wrong with the conversation that and the point that you're making. Because they literally hired him like, no, no, we see that he's an elite play designer and an elite offensive mind. There's some, you know, there's some limitations. There's some shortcomings. But we think that we can build around that skill set and he'll just get better and better. Yeah. once around it and that is the hope I think I think hope for all of us yeah. is that he's going to get better and better and I agree with you about the, the what I the creativity like when you did when you lost Bijan and Rojo when you lost your best player and your best you know I mean your best leader in Rojo it playing the same position I expected in that game for him to go into the bag right and right. especially let's say cuz Jay Brooks was hurt injured injured or whatever I expected okay he's going to go into the bag <laughs> he about to go into the bag because mm-hmm. he know that he lost his muse, all right. So he's gotta he's gotta actually kind of conjure the the mojo as a play caller, right? The creativity's gotta almost yeah. be the identity in this game, especially because you don't want to put too much of a burden on your young quarterback, Quinn Ewers. And to your point, that was no creativity in the running game. No, it was. was I've called it an arrogant game plan because it was <laughs> like you're just going with God at that point. You're like, look, we can knock Washington off the ball. Oh, we think our offensive line is that good. So yeah. it will put Keelan Robinson out there, even though we know he's not an every down between the tackles runner. We feel like we're good enough up front to do that. And, and you weren't. Yeah. And you and and then once you figured that out, then go into the bag and go, all right, we gotta we gotta beat these guys creating some angles. Uh, we gotta do it with a ton of motions and shifts, outnumbering them on one side of the ball. We want to beat them schematically with creativity, because obviously we're not just gonna bully ball Washington. And that moment really never happened for him. And I guess he decided to give up on the run game ultimately. He decided to yeah, there was a, there was that point in the second half where yeah. they, they they abandoned the run. Yeah. Which I'm not a matter mad of thing. Go win the game. Yeah, you know, yeah. because at that point game. it was like, like, damn, how you doing? Go win that's the game. why I said <laughs> I, I said the bowl game, if you look at the second half of the bowl game, that to me that was growth for Quinn and for Sark. Because yes. all year we've been talking about, hey, just take your short and intermediate game. If they're taking away the deep ball instead of forcing the deep ball, just take the short and intermediate stuff that's there. Yep, we saw that because the we talked about like, the TCU game. It just almost took until three quarters. How right? often do we talk about like your, especially on offense, like your perimeter screen game? It's an extension of your run game. Think of it as a long handoff. It's it's that whole Mike Leach theory, right? If I'm getting six yards, who cares how I got the six yards? Yeah, it's arrogance. Hubris to be like, nah, nah, I want to do it with the balanced attack or something like that. I'm getting six yards um, of play. Who cares how I get the six yards? Yeah, so I I think start this year. I think the lesson would be in that bowl game. Hey. You might you might be in your bag more. I'm talking about a Santa Claus like bag of tricks of creativity and trying to bring more innovation to the offense. Because and I know a lot of this is Rojo Bijan stuff. But when I went back and looked at the third down conversions, you know, of you know via personnel packages for Texas, man, eleven personnel with Sark loves on third down. Like that's you know that's his baby on third down. Third and medium and third and long. He's going to throw 11 personnel out there. Um, but the conversion rate actually drops for them. They're around 34% when they're trying to convert out of third down and 11 personnel. And with all, all the others, 12 personnel, hey, your 6-0 line package, even your, your 21 personnel, your multi-back sets, I mean, you're, you're well over 50%. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, a lot of that is breaking third it down in terms of third and long, third and shorts and all that kind of stuff. That is true. Um, but there are a lot of uh, situations where I think just creatively Sark does a really good job of, and when he's in other personnel groupings, being a little bit more creative in 
scheming guys open mm-hmm. and being able to use those cheat codes and kind of force multipliers that he has schematically. And also what those formations or personnel groupings tell the defense a lot of the time the way that you would talk about power power principles and pivot to pass plays you know like that same type of idea if you go out there and show something you might get a better and more advantageous look than if you go out there in something more 11 which would be more predictable which is what we talked about for years under the Herman offense why he became so predictable because the pitcher was never changing for the opposition and when you don't change that pitcher and give them a lot of the same you can't break tendency and all those things along the lines that make it to where you actually on offense are able to dictate a lot of the decisions. You actually weaponize the defense whenever you become that predictable. Yeah. yeah situationally, obviously, it, you know, he third and long, he wants more receivers out there. It just hurt Texas, I think, too, this year that you didn't have a third wide receiver. Yeah. And that's they where found JT Sanders yeah. way too late. You know when you mean? have JT and then Bijan. You can go out yeah. there and show those. Yeah. And when you have a le- wait less amount of receivers, this past year would have been maybe the best year to go with a more of a power package than, say, going forward when you don't have a guy like But Peter. that, you know, and, and I got on to Tom Herman for this a lot more than I've gotten on to Sark for, but it applies to Sark too. When you're talking about personnel groupings and situational football, okay, let's say you don't have a third wide receiver. What you need to do at that point is ask yourself, who am I better off having on the field right now? Casey Kane? Roshan Johnson. Yep. What poses more of a threat to the defense? Roshan Johnson, then I don't care if it's third and nine. I need to be in 21 personnel. You know, you know how your boy felt. I was always about it. I, that, that's that's how I look at it. That might be a simplistic way to look at it, but when you're you know, when you're dictating personnel groupings, who am I better off with in this situation? No, I totally agree with you. And to that to even add to that, you have so many ways you can utilize that personnel package, right? You can go empty formation yeah. because Bijan, like you said, he's basically a slot, one of the best slot wide receivers mm-hmm. and one of the best receivers on the team. You can put him in the slot, try to hide him, find him a matchup advantage. Um, Rojo is a great blocker too. Hell, Bijan's a good blocker too. So either one of those guys can stay in and block for you. That's not a big deal. I just think that, you know, once, I don't know, I think once you figured out that 21 personnel was basically yeah. your bread and butter that, Man, and I'm talking about any type of situation. Like, I looked at it's your most explosive personnel package in terms of explosive plays, 15-yard receptions, 10-plus-yard runs. It's yards per play, 21 personnel mm-hmm. was better. Yards I mean, yards per attempt, I believe it was, 21 personnel was better. I mean, you were just really good, but I think it's as simple as just what you said, right? It's like, no, I got all my best players on the field. Yeah. I got I got Bijan, I got Rojo, I got JT. <laughs> I got X-Men, I got J-Wit. Everybody else, man, y'all just watering down my my sample. Y'all just watering yep. it down, yeah. man. Yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. With these guys, we were as potent as we could be. Yep. And when we put try to put force a Casey Kane out there or force, you know, got nothing nothing against Gunnar Helm. He's got a, play, he's got a, a role to play. But force those guys out there because, yeah. hey, man, I got to play this personnel package more. And you do, you should. You got to be more more, more diverse and you got to have variety. I agree with that. Um, but they, they're not as potent as that 21 group because that is, that is literally your best five weapons on offense. You yeah, remember – the, the, right, the, all of them. The yeah. conversation, and and this is where I kind of came to the and and Marcus, this is what we're talking about. Like, if we have a take, it's going to be rooted in some kind of statistical analysis or the eye test or 
Rod's breaking down film. I'm going through and picking things apart. Like it, it's not going to be just, uh, just off the cuff. Like we'll, we'll have some thought about. It. And we're not. I'm not saying everything we say on this podcast is right. No, but no. It, it, it just understand that at least it's coming from a place where we've done some research on it. And at least I, I can tell you this is how I came to the conclusion. And but to, you know, hold on, Matt, just real quick. Yeah, yeah. Because this is where I came to the deal on personnel groupings, right? It was between the 2017 and 2018 season. Because mm-hmm. Tom Herman loved empty formation. He did. He used it a lot. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, man, why does empty work so much better this season than it did last season? I said, well, it's just a matter of personnel. What poses more of a threat to a defense? If I'm in empty formation and I've got Kyle Porter and Kendall Moore out there, or if I've got Andrew Beck and Trey Watson, what does the defense have? In that empty formation in the first one, there are two guys you don't have to account for being legitimate receiving threats. In the other one, everybody's a legit threat. Yeah, It's 100%. as simple as that. And to your point, you're talking about getting the best players on the field. Right now, this is an NBA comparison that comes to my mind. But if you look at the Golden State Warriors, they're like 500. They're like 27 and 27 or whatever. They're 529 and 29. But they have the best lineup in all of basketball. If you go all five-man units – that five starting five with Curry, with Clay, with Wiggins, with Draymond, and with Looney, they are the best by far. They're like a plus twenty on the season, better than any lineup from all the top teams around. But during the beginning of the year, what were they doing? They were trying to find lineups that worked with their young players, and they always had one or two of their young guys, of the Wisemans, before they traded them away, of Moody or of Poole, of these different guys. Well, what did that do? It caused them to have all these games that they end up losing because you're going and watering down the group that you have on the court and ends up making you end up being a 500 team because Steve Kerr was looking at the long game. No, he can always go to this top five-man lineup that's the best lineup in basketball, but it really caused them a lot of harm throughout the beginning of the year because he was trying to fight his way through these other groupings where there was always one or two deficiencies, and it got to the point where he got to the cut bait part and was like, no, we got to play our main guys. They're playing their main guys, and watch, they're going to end up being one of the teams that goes deep into the playoffs. But it's the same corollary to Rod was saying that if you just go and forget about, well, we don't have this tight end on the field or we don't have this exact grouping that I want – these two with Whittington, with Worthy, with Bijan, with Rojo, and JT, those five skill guys, if you just rode with that, you were going to be magnified and be so much better than if you just let in a little bit of that uh, fat that you'd like to trim off that you don't get to trim off. Yep. And this is go- this goes back to the JT Sanders conversation we had recently. Like if you're buying into uh, positionless football, if you're really buying into it, then – you should you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself into one specific position group, and then no matter what pieces you have, you should have enough pieces to be able to put something on the field that can work on any given down and distance. I mean, like, I mean, you think third and nineteen. There's, there's no there's nothing in the playbook for third and yeah. nineteen, but you're manageable down. You're you're reasonable down in distances. You should be able to put something on the field that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get to this before we get out of here because we we got to start wrapping it up here pretty quick. Actually, we got to start wrapping it up now. But you got a few coaches that are getting contract extensions. If I don't knock my microphone off the stand, uh, a few coaches are getting contract extensions. Pekwikowski, Kyle Flood, uh, not Jeff Beck, Jeff Choate's getting an extension. Shard Choice, uh, Blake Gideon, Terry Joseph. Those guys are all getting uh, extensions. I feel like I'm leaving one of the coaches off. Who am I leaving off? Tory Beckton, I know, is getting an extension. Thanks. 
Hold on. No, I got to go through down through. It's Gideon Joseph, Choate PK, Choice. A.J. Milwee is the other one. There you go. That's a good one. Uh, Mil- A.J. Milwee's getting a raise. Kyle Flood's getting a raise. Jeff Choate's getting a raise. Uh, no ex- uh, ra- extensions but no raises for PK uh, and the other guys. But, Rod, I think this is – I'll give Sark props for this because we mentioned Charlie Strong earlier. We've seen what happens when a coach gets his initial staff wrong. Mm-hmm. There was there's no question. Charlie's initial staff was it was an abject disaster. Like yeah, it was yeah. it was a dumpster fire. Yeah. And I think like we all kind of knew that at the beginning, but it's like, well, all right, I'm willing to give this the benefit of the doubt. And then you got to like four or five games into the season, where, okay, I was everything I thought about this staff was right. It just ain't gonna work. It's it's gonna be. And then you know your O line coach gets in a lawsuit with his former employer. And all that stuff happens. Brutal. But anyway, uh, I digress. And then Tom Herman, the initial staff, we talked about. I mean, whatever changes needed to be made, we knew in year one, okay, there need to be some changes here. And whatever changes I think he was planning on making after year two, beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl blew all that up. Mm-hmm. But Sark, I liked the initial staff. The one guy we had a question mark about was a question about was Andre Coleman. Not a question mark. I said it was a bad move. Okay. No question mark. And I said it was a bad move to keep him. And Sark took him a year, but he agreed. <laughs> say what you want. Yep. Say what you want about. Say what you want about Brennan Marion. There's no question that Sark saw a problem and went and upgraded that position. Mm-hmm. Brennan Marion was an upgrade over Andre Coleman. Say whatever you want about Brennan Marion. He's an upgrade over Andre Coleman. Yeah. And then, like you lose Stan Drake to a head coaching job. Man, I didn't. I kind of questioned the hire to Shard Choices. Like, has he been in the game long? But I mean. What's your number one thing to do as a running backs coach? You better be able to to recruit your you know what off. Yep. And guess what? You land a five star guy in your first recruiting cycle. All right, cool. And Char Choice seems to be a great guy in the locker room. Players seem to love him. Guys in the position room, great. Char Choice has been a great hire. That was a great hire. We'll we'll see what happens with with Chris Jackson's a, a great hire. But I, I think like man, hire. you you look at the 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 how the other guys on the staff evolved, right? I think you can say Sark is good at hiring people, and that is a skill that doesn't need to be scoffed at, Rod, because we yeah. talked about that might have been Mac Brown's best quality yeah. was the ability to constantly hire good people. He did have that Larry, was that Larry McDuff deal, but what did he do the following offseason? Realized Muschamp. Larry McDuff didn't work? He freaking hired Will Muschamp. No, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Already Very had freaking. guys hired off his staff. Mac had his misses. He had way more hits than he had misses hiring way coaches. more. Yeah. No like Everett Withers goes and takes an NFL job, bringing Dwayne Aquina. Yeah, no as you, who, as you said, taught you, taught you, basically built your foundation of, of what you know about the game. He of surrounded right himself now. with good football people that yeah. helped inform his decisions. He's got like I think three of the coaches have had interviews for head coaching jobs have been considered, and he's had one that was hired. So I'm with you on that. I agree with that 100. percent And we can get more. We can get into this more next week. But I, the fact that you've got this staff under contract, you know, and Unless you have one of those years where changes need to be made, which I don't foresee that happening at this point, but well, never say never. I've learned to say that around here. Uh, you're going to have this entire staff intact when you go to the SEC in 2024. Yeah, it's been a long time since you've been able to count on continuity around here. Yeah, and sometimes you know consistency is a good thing. So, props to Sark for that initial staff. We we started we opened the show talking about do are we too harsh on Sark. I I think Rod that might be that might be the best thing Sark has done at this point. He hired really good assistant coaches that from year one to year two got a whole hell of a lot better. I agree with you one hundred percent. Yeah. 
And that's as good a place as any to leave it this week. A little bit of a shorter show, but uh, we got to wrap it up. But we'll be back next week to uh, dig into some more Texas football. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B., appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn. 104-9101 at AM 1260. Stream on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday on Ball Don't Lie with Mike Hards from 3 to 7. Same as book. You can also get myself and Craig Way on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep. Just type in Longhorn Blitz. Search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. That's Horns 247. No dashes, no slashes, no spaces. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz whenever it drops. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, thank you so much for downloading and listening. And we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.